0: If you missed Christmas this year, what would you miss the most? And I want you to actually think about that. Sometimes we ask a rhetorical question that truly is rhetorical, but I want you, I want you to consider this. If you woke up tomorrow, and it was January 2019, and you had slept through Christmas, what would be the thing that, that you were most disappointed that you missed? The, the truth is, for a lot of us, it's probably not just one thing. It's probably a whole series of things that we would say, man, I really really would have missed that out. Now, the moms in the room uh, of young children uh, may be sad that they miss their kids' opening presents, but they also realize that what I just described is about a month-long nap, and it sounds pretty appealing to the moms of young children to get a month-long nap, so they might be willing to make that that trade-off. But there are some things that we would miss, some things that would, we would be sad that we didn't get to be a part of. Maybe it's a a tradition that you and your family always do. Maybe it's a place you always go. Maybe it's one present on Christmas Eve. I know a lot of people do that. Maybe it's the Christmas Eve service. Maybe it's going to something like Follow the Star or to see the lights at Clearbrook Park. It could be any number of things. I remember one year in in elementary school, we had a project in the school where it was completely based around a Christmas tradition that our family had, and it was supposed to be one of those things that we always did, and the truth was, I struggled to come up with anything. We didn't have a lot, of, uh, a lot of specific traditions, at least that I could think of, that I saw as traditions. And so I exaggerated a little bit. And so I said, well, we always put our stockings up at the same time and in the same order. And I acted like it was this big, like important process. We always did it. Everybody went to the same. I guess we kind of did that, but it was never something that was was enforced. If I had wanted to go first, I could have, if we had wanted to do it a different time. But I I couldn't come up with anything, so I just exaggerated and said, that's what we did. If I had thought harder, I would have realized that making the the Christmas Eve service an important part of Christmas for my family growing up, uh, and through that helping to focus us in the hours before the desire for presents took over, um, that would have probably been a quality tradition I could have focused on. We didn't have a ton of specific. We always go there. We always do that. We always eat that traditions. We just didn't. But eventually, we managed to make Pizza Hut a tradition, which was pretty awesome. We um, we realized that Pizza Hut was, and I don't know if this is still the case around here, but where I where I'm from, it is. Um, we realized that they were open after our Christmas Eve service, and that in fact, they were one of the only places that was open. And my parents were very involved in the music ministry there at the church, and so they were always very involved. in in the uh, Christmas Eve service, and the truth is my parents, even if they weren't in that, my dad was always pretty much the last person to leave the building. Um, Some of you are elbowing your spouse because you, you stay halfway through late church chatting, and that's okay, but that was my dad, and so Christmas Eve service would end, and everybody else would be gone, and we'd finally leave, and we'd be hungry, and it was not a situation where my mom had time to make a bunch of stuff because we had the service, and we discovered the Pizza Hut was open. And not only did we discover that Pizza Hut was open, they had a buffet. And I'll tell you, it was, I think it was just good strategy on my parents' part because a, a stomach full of pizza, we were out like that, you know? You fill up and you're ready for a nap. And so we'd go home and we'd hang our stockings up. Well, you better go to bed. Well, I am pretty tired. And so we would eat pizza and go to sleep. For years we did that. We, we probably should have never told anybody because for the first couple of years it was like nobody else knew about it. There would be three or four other families at the most in pizza. hut. By the time I graduated high school, it was like the whole church came with us. Because we spilled the beans, they'd say, where are you headed tonight? And we'd say, Pizza Hut. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. The last few years here, we've taken our kids to, to have some Chinese buffet food after Christmas Eve service. That's like taking the whole sleepy food thing to a next level. You fill them up with Chinese food, they go right to sleep. Whatever your traditions are, whatever they look like, whatever it looks like in your family, if you missed Christmas, you would miss those specific things. But what if I told you that we're in danger of missing Christmas even if we're wide awake, even if we're walking straight through it. I again want to thank Anthony for kicking off our series last week. As a recovering control freak who still has trouble letting go, it's not easy for me to hand off the series opener to somebody else, uh, but I thought he did a great job sharing with us about Herod uh, and how selfishness can cause us to miss the true meaning of Christmas, the real reason we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Unfortunately, selfishness is not the only thing that can cause us to miss Christmas. How many of you would say that you are easily distracted? Some of you, me just saying the word distraction snapped you back because you were distracted by something already. I I get distracted so easily. It's a problem I've always had. If I'm reading a book, sometimes I'll get to the end of a page that I know that I've read and not have a single idea of what I read. My eyes were moving down the page, but my brain was on something else. I've missed a lot more exits and turns driving than I would care to admit. Because I get distracted by what I'm talking about or by what's on the radio. The worst was when I was a kid, though. My mom would would send me to clean my room. And hours later, it would be so much worse. Because I would find a toy or like a box of stuff I hadn't had for a while. and, And I would play instead of clean. Or worse, I would sort. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Sorting usually makes things worse. But I, would, I would find my baseball cards or I would find my, my matchbox cars, and I would, I would sort them out instead of cleaning. I say, "Well, I'm sorting them so I can put them away good." Um, and it was never actually the case. I've actually had to start using, I'm using a system in my office now where, where when I need to do something that requires my full attention, like writing a message, I'll, I'll set a timer on my phone for 30 minutes, and I won't answer anything. If my phone rings, it can wait. If somebody comes to the door, they can wait if I, Hear a conversation down the hall? I think I need to be a part of it. Can wait, and for those thirty minutes, I don't let anything distract me. Otherwise, I would never get anything done because I feel like I need to be able. to, Okay, they want. They have a question. I have to answer it right now. They've got a. a there's a phone call. I have to answer it right now. And what I found is by giving myself thirty dedicated minutes of uninterrupted work time at a time. Obviously, I don't write a sermon in thirty minutes. It takes several of those, but what I've found is that when the 30 minutes is up, I tend to keep going. I say, you know what, I can keep going. And if I need a break, I take a five-minute break, and then I go back to it. Uh, sometimes distractions can be so troublesome that we have to take extreme measures in order to deal with them. Now, it's possible that you don't get as easily distracted as I do, but I think on some level, it's something we all struggle with. You know, from time to time, you'll see me get distracted up here because I'll see somebody walk in the back door, or I'll see somebody walking out the way back door or I'll see a car pull in. Those things catch my attention even from here. And and you'll see me get distracted. I'm trying to work on that stuff. But what I don't want to happen for us this year is for some is something that I'm guessing has happened to us before around Christmas, that we have allowed distractions to cause us and allow us to miss the true meaning of Christmas. The real reason we celebrate. The problem is this may be one of the most distracting times of the year. Distractions are everywhere. We get so busy. Uh, I know for years we have intentionally cut out some of the things we usually do week to week, especially in our, our children's and our student ministry, and focus on our Sunday mornings so that we don't add something on another day or another time to your schedule. Most of us look at the weekends of December and, and realize we have something on sev- or several things scheduled for every single one. Family gatherings and serving opportunities and shopping after what was a ridiculously long week, I decided to take my kids shopping yesterday by myself. Two and then one, and I didn't take Finn. So um, that, was, that was this. But it was just, they really wanted to go, and they had been troopers in what was a very long week. And I said, you know what, we'll go out shopping. And I felt like a crazy person out there. But we got some stuff done. And you get family gatherings and more family gatherings and neighborhood gatherings and cookie parties, which, by the way, cookie parties are a good thought. I like cookies. You could bring me cookies. Unless your friends can't bake, in which case a cookie exchange is a bad idea. But And the Christmas Eve service, and church every Sunday if we can make it, and all those little things that people say, hey, could we stop by, or hey, could you stop by? And things keep coming up, and before you know it, your whole calendar is full. And you feel like you have to do it all. You feel like you can't give up any of it. We do all of that. And both what we've scheduled and our exhaustion from doing those things serve to distract us from Christmas, and we end up trying to survive it instead of embracing it, instead of reveling in the amazing story of the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Have you ever gotten to the end of the Christmas season and felt like it was a whirlwind that just flew by, that you looked back and said, what happened? You were probably pretty distracted. And I'm afraid that for a lot of us, we don't give up the parties, we don't skip the school plays or the family gatherings, but when something has to give, and eventually something has to give, we end up bumping Jesus from our celebration. Not intentionally, but it happens. We don't always leave room in our Christmas celebration for Jesus. In the story of Jesus' birth, the innkeeper ends up being a little bit of a bad guy or a scapegoat which is particularly interesting because he's not actually a character specifically mentioned in the story. The innkeeper is someone that we have assumed over time. We've painted him into pictures and we've written songs about him and made him an important character in most Christmas plays. But I want you to read with me Luke's account of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. At that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was the descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Now, that passage in a variety of, of translations has led us to believe that Mary and Joseph barely made it to town in time for Jesus to be born, and that they, they looked everywhere for a place to stay, and even the local inn couldn't take them to the point that they had to stay in a stable or a barn where Jesus was born among the animals. And there are some small differences in, transla- in different translations about the lodging itself. In the New International Version, verses 6 and 7 say this, While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And then the King James actually says it this way, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now that's where we get the inn. Now I have no desire to ruin your Christmas or your image of the nativity or any of that kind of stuff, don't, don't let me. But I think it's important that we acknowledge that some of the things we assume about the classic nativity scene, if you will, aren't necessarily the way that it was. And a lot of things we assume about what led up to that scene aren't necessarily the way it was either. It is unlikely that Joseph would have taken a ready-to-pop pregnant Mary on a trip like this. Uh, Luke's account says it this way in the KJV we just read, while they were there, The days were accomplished that she should be delivered. We don't know how long they were there, but but it was probably for at least several days, if not longer. It probably wasn't quite what a lot of us had pictured, where they they ride into town and she's already, you know, ready to give birth. It's also unlikely that the indescribed was what we think of either they didn't leave the light on for them at Motel 6, nor did they wake up feeling smarter because they stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night. In fact, It's likely that the term that the New International Version uses, guest room, is the most accurate. Remember, Joseph was returning to his hometown, and despite the fact that it was his ancestral hometown, that means that his family was also coming back. It's also possible he would have still had family living in the town, and it's unlikely that any family member would have been turned away from staying in a family home, but instead allowed to stay in a lower level of the house, a place that often housed the animals. In ancient Israel. In fact, the Greek word used here that is often translated to in, as it is in the KJV, is the word katamula, which is a word that is usually translated guest room. In fact, we see it another place in Luke's gospel when Jesus is giving his instructions to his disciples about preparing for what we now call the Last Supper. Here's what he says in Luke chapter 22, verse 11 Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? That's the same word that the New Living Translation translates to lodging and the King James Version translates in. Mark also uses that same Greek word in the same story in his gospel in chapter 14, verse 14. He reads, At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? And to further show that this probably wasn't a true end later in Jesus' life, as we find in Luke's gospel, Jesus tells what we call the, the parable of the Good Samaritan where a Jewish man is is beaten and robbed and left to die, and the religious elite walk right past him and do nothing about it, while a Samaritan, he himself hated, stops and helps. And we read this in Luke chapter 10, beginning of verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. You see, that use of "in" and innkeeper, when you look at the Greek, the original language is a completely different word, pendotion, I think is how you say it, which typically does mean "in." My assumption, in my opinion, is that Luke would not have used two different words in his gospel if he meant the same thing. And so I'm sorry if this is mind-blowing and is screwing up your idea of the nativity because I began to study this thought process of looking at the innkeeper and distractions and, and it kind of blew my mind. I had always pretty much assumed the innkeeper to be part of the story. And so I thought about scrapping the whole message. I thought about saying, you know what, if we're not even sure that there was an innkeeper, if we're not even sure that's close to accurate, is it entirely possible that there is nothing we could learn from this thought process? But I think there is. I think we can. Learn from this thought process. You see, all returned to their ancestral towns to register because this census was required. And so what I imagine you have here is some government-forced family reunions. Now, some of you would be fine with a family reunion. Some of you have avoided them for years. That's not something a lot of families still do, but every once in a while you get that get that note in the mail that says, Hey, we're gonna try to have a family reunion and get everybody together. There there are two kinds of people. There are people who are like, yes, I'll be there. They're excited, and they're already cooking food for it, even if it's a year away. And there are people like, you could not pay me to go to a family reunion. I understand that there are different relationships that we have with our families. In this case, they had no choice. Everyone had to come back to their ancestral towns to register, which means that in Joseph's case, not only is he required to come, But anybody older than him that's still living is required to come, that's related to him in that line, anybody younger than him, there's tons of people coming back. It's not just come back to where you were born, it's come back to where your ancestors were born. These towns, a town like Bethlehem was no doubt bustling as people came from everywhere back to this hometown. Innkeeper or not, we know that it was a busy place because of the lack of a quality place for Mary and Joseph to stay. We know that nobody saw their arrival as something important, certainly not as important as it truly was. But can we blame people for not noticing? I mean, yes, most knew what the Old Testament said. They knew of a coming Messiah. But can we blame them for not realizing that it would come in this way at this time? I mean, family is coming this day, and we have to get the house ready, and we have to get enough food and enough beds, and who's sleeping where, and who's arriving when, and on and on. Some of that sounds pretty familiar to a lot of us because we're going through that process right now ourselves saying, okay, when are the in-laws getting here? Okay, when are my parents getting here? Okay, when's so-and-so coming? Who needs to stay here? Couldn't they just stay at a hotel? I'm sure that it's not that expensive. You know, when we go through that thought process. And it becomes a priority. We have to figure that stuff out, right? And it goes high on the list. And I wonder, I wonder even if Mary and Joseph showed up at the door and said, Here's why it should matter to you that we're here and that we get a warm and comfortable place to stay. I wonder even if Mary and Joseph said, I am carrying the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I wonder if anyone would have noticed. And so as we read, Mary and Joseph, they settled into their accommodations. And there with little to no fanfare, Jesus was born. He was wrapped in strips of cloth and he was placed in a manger. Luke's account continues, chapter 2. Verse 8, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth. Lying in a manger. And I've thought about this before, and I would challenge you to just think through this sometime when you've got some time. I've always thought about what are some of the places I would want to be able to go back and just be a fly on the wall in when it comes to the scriptures. You know what, what do I want to get a full view of? Because we can read about some of these things. We go, man, if I was there, though, I think I'd really understand. And I've always thought that that hillside that night would be one of those places if, man, if you could be there. Hanging out with the shepherds, nothing's really going on. And then this angel appears. Like It would just be amazing to see. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. told them, now as I I read through this part of Luke's account, one that I've probably heard or read, I don't know, a hundred times in my life. What struck me this time, this this different perspective with which I looked at these shepherds. I mean, we tend to remind you this time of year that the shepherds were low on the social totem pole. We, We always say the same things. It was not a glamorous or a well-paying job. We usually point out that they probably didn't smell very good because of what they did and the hours that they kept. And I would add, in addition to that, I'm guessing the overnight job of shepherding was probably not the most desirable one because you know, predators come out at night and they've got to protect the sheep and that puts them in danger. But here's what I don't know if I had ever considered before. These shepherds were probably the least distracted people in the area, in and around Bethlehem. Everybody else probably had a lot going on, but these shepherds were probably the least distracted people in the area. They were likely focused on only one thing instead of 100, and that was their job. And so when the angels appeared, bringing this amazing news, we read that the shepherds dropped everything and went to Bethlehem and came back praising God for all they had heard and seen. Now there's a question that comes to my mind in that. That if if the angels had appeared to a busier, more distracted group of people with this same news, would it have been received in the same way? I'm not sure it would have. We'd like to think that the angels appearing is is so impressive and and this news is so important that it would have gotten anyone's attention. And maybe it would have, but I'm not sure that any group of people, especially busy, distracted ones, would have dropped everything to go and see this newborn Savior. I think a lot of people would have said, let me finish what I'm doing, and then we'll go and see what has happened. Or let me wait until my relatives arrive and things settle down, or let me wait until I get this cake out of the oven, and then I'll be able to go and see. And I think that might just be where a lot of us are, this and maybe every christmas because that savior declared by the angels in the fields to those shepherds is the same one whose birth we celebrate and yet for a lot of us we are so busy and so distracted that we would never even consider dropping everything to worship him yeah we'll squeeze church into our schedule but we would never consider dropping everything to worship we would never consider giving up a piece of our holiday celebration for the sake of worshiping God and thanking Him through that worship for sending Jesus all those years ago to walk this earth, to grow into a man and take our sins to the cross with Him, taking our punishment and making us right with God, that we could have a relationship with Him and spend eternity worshiping Him in heaven. It's an amazing thing, but I'm afraid we're too busy to stopping to worship. it flies by and we look back on december and the truth is we give ourselves credit for the number of sundays we made it to church and if we made it to the christmas eve service but but do we truly stop worship i'm not suggesting we need to give up every non-jesus focused part of our christmas celebration this year I'm, i'm not saying that at all if you look next door after dark you'll see that there's a big santa claus on my porch I love that thing. It it was my grandparents' Santa Claus, and I got to keep it. And uh, the light bulb burned out the other day. So I put a brighter one in it. So it's even brighter today. I'm not suggesting that we need to cut all that out of our celebration. But here's what I am suggesting to myself and to you. If at any point you find the non-Jesus portion of your celebration, getting in the way of celebrating the birth of the Savior of the world, that's something we need to be conscious of, and it's something we need to deal with. It's something we need to fix. The problem really is if we're that busy and that distracted, and a lot of us will be if we aren't already, it's likely that we won't even realize how messed up our priorities have become. We're too busy to see it. And so here's my challenge to you today, as Christmas is only a week and a half away. Yeah, Christmas is only a week and a half away. And if you're already doing a good job with this, keep it up and try to help others do a good job with this. But if you aren't, here's the challenge. Beginning today, we need to be proactive about celebrating Jesus every single day. And and no, this is not just a thing that should happen at Christmas time, but, but it's important in this busy season that we put some extra focus on it. Jesus is worthy of being celebrated every single day. But in the midst of the busyness and distractions of the season, it is going to take some intentionality. We're going to have to be proactive. And so take time every day on your own or as a family or both to stop and to talk about Jesus or to read part of the Christmas story from Scripture or to look back on some of those Old Testament prophecies that foretold Jesus' birth. Those are really cool. When you go back and you read through those Old Testament Scriptures that so clearly point to Jesus, what you realize is, for generations, these people waited. They believed that a Messiah would come, and they waited, and they waited, and they believed that the Messiah would come, and a generation would pass, and it hadn't happened yet, and they waited, and they waited, and they believed. And it's a reminder of... of, of the generational, but for years and generations they've been waiting, it speaks to the importance of this birth, and yet sometimes we let Christmas pass by without that being the most important thing. Read through those Old Testament scriptures that point to Jesus' birth. Work through an Advent calendar as a family if that's something you have. Pray daily that God would help you focus on the right things. Sacrifice something from your schedule that doesn't focus you on Jesus. Now, that's a tough one. But if there's something that could go that doesn't focus you on Jesus, sacrifice it. Sacrifice it. Make the things on your calendar that do help you focus on Jesus a priority. Do whatever you can do to help minimize the distraction and the busyness that will eventually pull you away from what Christmas is all about. And Here's the cool thing. I'm challenging you and I to start this today, and we've already started that today because we're here. In the midst of your celebration and its busyness and its distraction, you chose to make coming to church a priority today. That's important. Give yourself credit for that because you probably had other things you could be doing. I bet stores aren't nearly as busy right now as they were yesterday, and yet you chose to be here You made a good decision. Make a similar decision tomorrow and the next day. And I'm going to say, you know what? We are going to focus on Jesus. We are going to make sure we don't lose sight of what truly matters this Christmas season. I'm confident if we do that, it will help us to truly focus. And next Sunday, make that same decision. And Christmas Eve, make it a priority to be here for Christmas Eve service. I promise you, if you are, we'll do our very best to help you focus even more. If you're going out of town, I can't think of very many places you can go where you couldn't get to some sort of Christmas Eve service. Google churches in this area, and you'll find one. But be proactive and say, "This, this matters to me, so I'm going to make it happen. Because here's the thing, it won't happen on its own. The distractions won't just fade away. The busyness won't just slow down. It can only happen if we put in effort, if we decide what's important, if we're willing to make some sacrifices. But if we don't want to miss Christmas, that's exactly what we'll need to do. So Starting today, let's keep the main thing the main thing. And if it helps you, I've put a list of scriptures, both Old and New Testament, that are related to the birth of Jesus on your bulletin insert. Hang on to that. You can work through those a couple a day, diving into Scripture daily, yourself or with your family, it could be a great way to help to focus your heart. Here's what it comes down to for me. It it doesn't seem that anyone in Bethlehem understood just what was happening in their midst. And I'm afraid that some years we forget what happened that night in Bethlehem that we forget just how much more important that event is than than Santa Claus and presents and lights and cookies and everything else that that makes up our, our celebration of Christmas. Don't let Christmas fly by. And don't miss what matters. Don't let yourself get to January and realize you experienced so much in December, but you still missed Christmas. Focus on what matters. Let's pray. Now thank you that we have this, this record of what happened on the night in Bethlehem. Thank you for allowing that to, to survive, these generations. But God, I pray that, that, that even though we come to that story every year at this time, and even though many of us have heard it so many times we could, we could say it from memory, I pray that that wouldn't allow it to lose its meaning. Because we understand that if if Jesus hadn't been born, Jesus couldn't have died for our sins. That when you sent Jesus for us, he came to be our savior. He came to, to pay our debt. He came to take our punishment. He came for us. Help us not to lose sight of that, especially this time of year. As we move into a time of communion, I pray that you would help us to focus on what that baby grew up to do for us on the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.